0: We appreciate your attendance here this morning. I look out and it's been uh, one of those summers, as summer often is, where so many people are out on vacations or have different activities planned, but it it looks like today we've got a a lot of people here that have been in and out all back here together, at least for one week. And at any rate, we're grateful for your attendance this morning, and I, I hope the time we spend here together is beneficial for all of us. It was announced already, and I think even if you hadn't heard the announcements, most of us know it, but tomorrow does begin our vacation Bible school. And it was suggested to me that it would be a really great idea if we had a sermon on the theme of our VBS to sort of kick it off, and I thought that was a great idea. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, We're taking a brief one-week hiatus from that series we began on 1 Corinthians 13, And today we want to talk about the theme of our Vacation Bible School this year, which is trailblazers for the faith. What is a trailblazer? We're talking here about explorers, pathfinders, those who cut a track for others to follow. In our own history, I think of people like Daniel Boone, who went across the Cumberland Gap and made a roadway there where people could spill over the Appalachian Mountains and begin to settle in Kentucky in particular. Or I think about uh, Lewis and Clark embarking on an expedition to explore the Louisiana Purchase. Or or in Texas history, people like uh, Goodnight and Loving cutting a trail for cattle drives so that they could be taken from here up to railheads and be sold for a profit. But when we're talking about the context of the faith, we're talking about those who embarked on a journey with God. They went out into an unknown future with Him, completely and utterly dependent on Him alone. You know, the Hebrews writer actually has a whole chapter in his letter devoted to telling stories of people just like that. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. We often refer to this as a sort of hall of fame of the faith. All of these great heroes that we find listed there. But we could just as easily call these trailblazers for the faith. And he sums up the point of that chapter, all of those people that he's listed in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It was read a few moments ago. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, Despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In this passage, the Christian life is compared to a race. And not just any race, a marathon. It's not a sprint. You see, in a sprint, running over a short distance, the critical thing is to just run as fast as you can for a brief amount of time. But in a marathon, the critical critical factor is endurance. Can you keep on running, mile after mile after mile, even when you're ready to quit? Will you make it to the end? As Paul said, In 2 Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I've kept the faith. Finishing that race is critically important to all of us who would be Christians. And this passage gives us three pieces of advice on how we might do that, how we might run that race of life, how we follow that trail, if you will, successfully. So the first one of these is to be inspired. Be inspired. Remember that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. All of these trailblazers for the faith. We can be inspired by those who've gone before. You notice that chapter 12 begins with that word, therefore. Therefore since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Therefore is a clue that we're connecting back here to everything that went before. And we have that long list of those trailblazers there. For example, in verse number 7, he mentions Noah. Remember Noah? Noah spent 120 years building the ark. 120 years. And during that time, don't you know, he took a great deal of ridicule. People thought he was crazy. Patience is one of those virtues that not all of us possess. And those of us who do possess it don't always keep it. We have a way of losing our patience even at times. And so sometimes we might be tempted to wonder why important things in our life are not happening, why it's not coming as quickly as we expected it to. And when that happens, we can look at Noah as an example. And Noah says to us, you think you've waited a long time? I had to wait 120 years, and it wasn't easy. People ridiculed me all during that time. They said, oh, you think God spoke to you and that the world is going to flood? Okay, sure thing, Noah. And then one day, I tried to warn them of the judgment. No one would listen. And one day when it did rain, that ark became the vehicle of our salvation. Noah kept on. And he says to us, when we are tempted to grow impatient... You need to keep on keeping on, too. The very next verse, verse number 8, we have Abraham. Abraham, who was called out of the city of Ur in Mesopotamia, the most advanced civilization of its day, to go out into the frontier, into the unknown, a place that God would show him. He didn't even know where he was going. Abraham who was told by God that in his old age, he and Sarah would have a son. Abraham, who was then told to take that precious son, that child of promise, to go up onto a mountaintop and to offer him in sacrifice to God. This Abraham passed each and every test that was placed before him. So when we become discouraged... Here's the example of Abraham. He reminds us that when we follow God, what we do might not make sense to the rest of the world. After all, each one of those three things I mentioned, those are all ludicrous according to the wisdom of the world. But Abraham continued to trust God. He continued to do his will. And he says that even if the world thinks that God's ways are crazy because it's not their ways, listen carefully to what he says. Follow in his steps. Be true to his will. We skip down to verse 22. We find the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And down in Egypt, where he was a slave, he rose to a, a position of some responsibility in the household of his master, but then he was accused of crimes that he didn't commit, and so he was thrown into prison. Joseph was down about as low as a person can get, and yet even down in those depths, he remained true to God, and then one day, overnight really, the tables are turned. Joseph is now in about as high a position as a person can get. He's the prime minister of Egypt. He has money, he has food, he has people under his command. And yet in this position of responsibility, when the opportunity came for him to have vengeance on his brothers, he still remained true to God. So Joseph reminds us that it might be easy to serve God when everything's going your way. But even when everything seems to turn against you, and you're as low as you can get, still remain faithful. Continue to serve God. The list in chapter 11 goes on and on and on. There's Moses, there's David, there's Samuel. This Great cloud, more besides, of witnesses. These trailblazers who gather around us and they cheer us on. These witnesses, it's as if they're whispering here in our ears when things get tough. Don't don't grow faint. Don't lose heart. Don't quit. And of course, we not only have these examples in Scripture that we could look to, Each and every one of us has at least one person. Some of us have been blessed with several that we can look to in our own lives as examples. Maybe it was family members. I can think of the examples of of my parents, my grandparents. Maybe some of you were raised in Christian homes and you have that ability to look back on that. Maybe for others of you it's friends. Maybe you had one good friend who first introduced you to Jesus and set an example for you. Maybe it's a Bible class teacher that you had when you were a kid. When he was making announcements, Brother Taylor talked about how Vacation Bible School has been instrumental for some of us in helping to shape and form us, and we still remember those lessons that we learned. Some of you can probably look back to one particular Bible class teacher who helped to shape you. Maybe it's an elder that you looked up to. Who knows? But the point is, we all have these personal examples that we can add to our cloud of witnesses here. We need to be inspired by those who have gone on before us. And we need to remember that in just the same way that we look to others in our own lives to inspire us, whether you realize it or not, Someone is looking at you. Parents, your children are looking at you to be an inspiration to cut this path for them to walk. Older people, younger people are looking to you to be an example. Teenagers, younger children are looking to you to be an example. For all of us, we have at least one person, whether we know it or not, looking to us to be that example, to be that inspiration. They're watching, and if we stumble, and if we fall, they're going to become discouraged, too. The second thing the writer tells us here in this passage is that we must prepare for the struggles that we will inevitably face. We need to be prepared, and he states that in several different ways. First of all, he begins by saying, let us lay aside every weight. That is, throw off everything that hinders us, everything that weighs us down, anything that keeps us from running this race the way that we ought. It might be previous relationships. Now, when you become a Christian, you shouldn't sever all of your old relationships. If we do that, we'll just end up talking to each other. That's not going to be very effective. We'll never convert anyone. We'll never win the world for Jesus if we're just sitting around staring at one another all day long. So don't just immediately sever your relationships with people out in the world. But you do need to do that if that relationship is weighing you down. If it's a hindrance on you, so maybe some relationships that you have need to be severed. Or it could be possessions that we have that are interfering with our walk with the Lord, keeping us from running that race as we ought. Maybe we've become so concerned with making more money or with having a better car or a bigger house or more clothes or or whatever it is that that's become our top focus in life. We need to adjust our priorities. Or maybe it's some habit or some hobby that we have that's not even sinful in itself, but we have to devote so much time and attention to it that it's consuming our lives. It's interfering, running the race for Jesus. You know, I, uh, to use a personal example, I love football. Football season's right around the corner. I know several of you out there are excited about this. I used to attend every single Texas Longhorns home game when I lived in the Austin area. I like football. But if you're sitting here in the fall on Sunday morning, and all you can think about is when everything lets out so that you can get home to watch the game, well, that's a hobby that's not wrong in itself, but maybe you need to realign your priorities. There are other examples we could give, but anything that is an impediment, an obstacle in running the race, living for Christ, that's something we need to jettison. Then the writer says, secondly, we need to get rid of the sin, well, the King James, the way I have it memorized in my head, the sin that so easily besets us. The English standard here says, sin which clings so closely. That's a good translation. Even better, this word here in some translations will render it this way. Something like ensnares or entangles us. I can't think of any word or concept that conveys the power of sin better than that. It has an ensnaring power, an entangling power. Some of you out there in this audience today will, who are of a certain age, will remember the old Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan movies. And if you're like me, maybe you watched it when you were a kid in reruns on television. You know it seemed like in just about every one of those movies there would be some sort of danger, you know Jane or whoever was trapped. And Tarzan would have to put his knife between his teeth and he'd have to jump out into the water to go to the rescue. And then the music would get really loud and you know that some sort of trouble was coming. And it seemed that more often than not that trouble was an octopus. And you first see, you know, a big eye open up there. That was the first clue. And then pretty soon a tentacle would reach out and it'd grab Tarzan around the ankle. Well, that's no big deal. Tarzan can get out of one tentacle. But then here comes another tentacle and it'd grab him around the other ankle. And then another one grabbing him around his body. And you think, This is it, this is the end. How's he going to get out? But, of course, pretty soon he had that knife in his teeth, and the next thing you would see was this cloud of ink, and Tarzan would be swimming away. The point is that sin is like that. One insidious tentacle reaching out to grab you after another. I think it's no big deal. Just, Just this once. Just one drink. There's a tentacle. Just, just one thought. It, it's just a look. It's not going to hurt anything. There's another tentacle. Just one lie. I, I'm just rearranging the truth a little bit. Nobody will ever know. There's another one. And pretty soon, we're trapped. We're ensnared by that power of sin. We need to throw off everything that hinders us, We need to get rid of that sin that so easily entangles us. And then the writer says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'm obviously not a marathon runner. I'm not a runner of any sort. I hate to run. I know some out there enjoy it, and if you do and you get that runner's high, that's awesome. I'm I'm envious of you because I absolutely hate it. I did enough when I was a teenager, that i never want to run again for the rest of my life unless something life-threatening is chasing me. But marathon runners tell us that there are two critical times in a race. The first one is right at the beginning. You're feeling good, you're feeling strong, you're feeling fit. And it's really easy to run too fast at the start so that you don't have enough energy to finish the race. We've seen that happen to some Christians, haven't we? living the Christian life. They start out and, they're, man, they're on fire. They're full of zeal, full of passion, and they want to do great things for God, but then they find that, well, oh, this is a lot harder than they thought. They expend all that energy, and then they're burnt out. They don't have anything left in the tank. They fall away. The second critical time is somewhere between mile 15 and mile 20, give or take. You've run a, a long way. And then all of a sudden it hits you. You've got a long way left to go. We call this hitting the wall. And it's tough because you think that you just don't have the endurance to keep on going. You're ready to give up. You can't keep putting one foot in front of another. We've seen that happen in the Christian life too, haven't we? You've been around a long time. You've fought the battles, you've been faithful, you've done your best, but it just keeps on going. And now there's some new challenge and you just don't know if you can make it through that one. You don't have that stamina to keep going. But the writer says we're to run with endurance. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. How do we do that? How do we we lay aside those things that hinder us? How do we get rid of the sin that clings so closely? How do we run with endurance when all we want to do is give up? It's hard. That's the third and final word that he gives us. We must focus our attention on Jesus. Jesus. Jesus' race was tough, too. He was opposed, he was persecuted, he was mocked, ridiculed, and yet he stayed the course. He paid the price. He ran the race with endurance. And so the writer says, when we're weary, when we're so tired that we want to quit, Fix your eyes on Him. He's the one who propels you to run that race. Every Christian and every church needs to hear this message because it is so easy to quit. We all have times when we feel like we want to quit. We say, "I, I don't have to do this anymore. I'm done. I'm out. What's the point? The writer says the point is Jesus. Focus on Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the perfecter of our faith. He is the ultimate trailblazer of our faith. He's the one who cleared that path that we walked down, following in his footsteps. And one day we're going to stand before him as our judge, Each and every one of us is going to be as guilty as we can be. The accuser will lay out all of the crimes that we've been charged with. And our only hope, because we will be guilty, is to claim the benefit of the cross. As the Apostle Paul puts it, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. So, the writer of Hebrews says, focus on Jesus. Focus on his cross. Focus on that he's seated at the right hand of God. Because the only hope that we have in this race is the hope that we have in him. Let's run the race with endurance. Let's not lose heart. Don't give up, don't quit. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never focused on Jesus. I've got news for you, friend. You're still running a race, but you're doing it without any hope. You need to put your trust in Him. You need to turn to Jesus in faith and in repentance, and you need to be buried with Him in baptism and receive the benefits of His death on the cross. Have your sins washed away. Have that promise of an eternal home with Him when your race on this earth is done. Maybe you're here this morning, you already are a Christian. You started that race. But at some point, you fallen by the wayside. It got hard. You quit. I want to encourage you today to make that determination to get up, renew your focus on Jesus, to start running again. If we can help you in any way this morning, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.